the engine of our life is who are we trying to become? What kind of world are we trying to create, first and foremost? Where do we fit into that? And what does that require of us? You don't just change the world, you, you change yourself. We're bombarded by messages every day, from famous strangers on mass media, to those in our day-to-day lives via the phone in our pocket. Technology connects us to more people than ever before, yet we struggle to have meaningful conversations about difficult topics with those closest to us. How do we broach challenging and even polarizing ideas with love? How do we listen and learn from those of different ages or abilities, races or ethnicities? And what if the voices we need the most are the ones often unheard? I'm Erin Wilson, Preemptive Love Senior Field Editor in Iraq, and you're listening to Love Anyway. This season, we're exploring challenging conversations, especially with the young ones in our lives. Instead of shying away from tough topics, what if we pressed into them? And if we're honest, into the awkwardness that comes with talking about hard things? What if choosing to love anyway, if working to end war, looks a lot more like listening than we might have thought? Here in our office in Iraq, I sat down with Jessica and Jeremy Courtney, my friends, co-workers, and founders of Preemptive Love. You heard them both in season one, but I wanted to get even more personal. I wanted to ask them about a demographic often left out of peacemaking conversations, kids. When we had kids, we didn't have a plan for how we were going to introduce them to the world. We just barely had a plan for how we were going to keep them alive. Micah wasn't even a thought when we moved into Iraq. Emma was 18 months old, and... Years and years before we had Emma, someone had said to us that parenting should happen in a going-along process. Going-along process. My path to unmake violence might look different from yours, but many of us are figuring out as we go what it looks like to love anyway. Jeremy and Jessica have raised their two kids among a wide range of experiences— from the joy of picnics with friends in the mountains of Iraq to the threat of violence by ISIS. I asked them to share how culture, technology, and war have changed their perceptions on parenting and how all of us with young people in our lives can learn something from it. The engine of our life is who are we trying to become? What kind of world are we trying to create, first and foremost? Where do we fit into that? And what does that require of us? You don't just change the world, you you change yourself. And then, what does that mean about how we parent our children? A lot of us don't set our intentions on anything that clear or that compelling. And so we're left thrown about by the cultural winds and the news of the day saying, how do I talk to my kids about this shooting? How do I talk to my kids about this march? How do I talk to my kids about this outbreak? And it, it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot right now with... Every time you open your computer or turn on the TV, it's everything, the news and the headlines are changing so fast. That's a lot for a kid to keep up with. It's a lot for a parent to keep up with. A new report is again casting a spotlight on the harsh conditions for migrant families and children who are being detained by the U.S. government 
near the Mexican border. increasing number of school shootings across the country, school boards and administrators are struggling with how to prepare for the worst-case scenario. We return now to the military crackdown in Sudan today, the worst violence since the overthrow of the country's president. The only way we know to do it is to set our big goal, our big intention on a certain kind of world that we want to be a part of and to constantly, reflectively ask ourselves and our kids, what then does that require of us? Each one of us gets the chance to set the tone of our lives, regardless of circumstances. For some of us, growing up with the privilege of relative safety, regular meals, and decent schools, setting that tone can be just a matter of intention. Privilege allows us to choose much of what the children in our lives are exposed to. So talk to me about privilege. We all happen to be white Westerners living in living in Iraq. We all have privilege no matter what kind of a life we're living here. We were probably all from privileged communities back in the United States and Canada before we even moved here. Not everybody has the choice to live in particular kinds of ways with their kids. I, I can't just sit on the sidelines. So we're trying to learn and trying to lead in a way that invests and leverages what we have to the benefit of everyone, to the equality and the raising up of everyone. Doing this as a family is a privilege. It's beautiful that we get to live in a place where our children can go along with us, that our life is set up in such a way that our kids get to be a part of the solutions to the problems that we're seeing, that we get to think through all of that together. For those of us who have been raised in places of privilege, we have the privilege to turn off the news and to turn off the phone when it's overwhelming or when our children walk in the room because what's being said is most likely not going to alter our lives. Because if there was a shooting across town that we don't want our kids to be aware that that exists, there's entire neighborhoods across town for whom that happened in their day. They know that person who was killed or maybe the person who was shooting the gun and they can't hide from that conversation today. And they can't hide from the one that's potentially coming next week, the same way in Iraq that no one could hide from the effects of ISIS. And we have to recognize if we choose that posture of protection, not everyone has that privilege. And we continue to promote that privilege if we keep imposing it on our children and we're not inviting them into conversations as we go to be able to really process what's happening so that they can become even better human beings than we are today. We're trying to raise our family and trying to lead an organization in a way that says where there is privilege, where there is opportunity afforded to some but not the others, how can we leverage that? Where can we invest that? Where can we put it to use so that we create the world where everything rises? I sat down with Emma and Micah Courtney, Jeremy and Jessica's children here in Iraq. They fit our conversation in between reading chapters of their current books and playing with their dog, Ninja. Hi, I'm Micah William Courtney. I'm 11 years old. Hi, my name is Emma Courtney. I'm 14 years old. So when people ask you guys where you're from, what do do you say? Iraq. Iraq. It does feel like home. You spent your whole whole lives here. Americans think that it's a desert here. 
or that it's not entirely safe. Like it's always a war zone, but it's not. I feel like right now here in Iraq, it's safer than it is right now in the States because of school shootings and other stuff like that. Americans shouldn't be afraid of Iraq because it's pretty much the same as America. It's still a country. People still live there. It's not always dangerous and it's not dangerous everywhere in Iraq. I think there's people that maybe wonder if, if your life has been really hard here because you've lived in Iraq instead of the United States. In some ways, life in the United States is is easier. The electricity is better, things like that. Well, I wouldn't say it's easier. I would say it's more convenient. And I guess you could say that things that make it more convenient do make life easier, but... You don't need electricity 24-7. Like, it's cool if you have it. Like, that's great, but it's not a need. I learn a lot from my kids because I think when we get in these hard conversations, they're oftentimes simplistic view of things can really help to distill a problem down to, to what's at the root of that problem. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kayla. I'm a producer of the Love Anyway podcast, and I'm also a mom to four young kids, four wild kids. (laughs) One of the ways I try to be intentional with my parenting is using my purchasing power for good, including the toys that I buy, which is why I love the handmade peace dolls in the preemptive love shop. They're so colorful and they're handmade by a community of, get this, Israeli and Palestinian women who are working together for unity and peace. It's amazing. The peace dolls are super soft and each one has a special name meaning peace in a different language. Uh, Honestly, a description can't even do them justice. You just have to go to preemptivelove.shop to see them. And while you're there, you can use our special code podcast for 20% off a peace doll. And you can feel good about knowing the money that you just spent will go right back into empowering families on the front lines in Iraq and Syria and beyond. All right, back to Jeremy and Jessica. You're singing about parenting? God only knows what I'd be without you. God only knows what I'd be without you God only knows I remember the January when God only knows the U.S. government decided that people who came from Iraq were no longer allowed to come into the U.S. Uh, Jeremy and I were traveling. We were in the States. The kids were staying with friends and... And there was this announcement that if you were from these countries, you were no longer, you were banned. You were banned from America. You couldn't travel to America. Protest erupted within hours Friday and continued all weekend after President Trump issued his sweeping executive order, temporarily barring all refugees and travelers from seven majority Muslim Jeremy nations. and I, our hearts were broken and we went into action mode, speak against it, figure out how to make sure that friends from this part of the world weren't being seen as a group 
being lumped into this idea that they didn't belong in America. And we were away from the kids about a week, I think. And it never occurred to me in that time that they might have had access to news about what was happening or how they would process that. And we got back home to the kids and we were packing up and headed to Iraq. And I remember the plane landing in Iraq two days later and stepping off the plane, standing in the passport line to get our visa stamped. And Micah's little shoulders just released all of this, this sigh of air. And I looked down at him and he has tears in his eyes. And I said, buddy, what's going on? Are you okay? And he said, mommy, I just feel so safe now. Just feel so safe. We're finally here back in Iraq. And I said, buddy, why were you afraid in America? And he said, because they don't want us there. We're from Iraq and they don't want us to be in America. They made a ban against people coming to America for Iraq. And I just didn't know when they were going to tell us we had to leave. I just broke in that moment for my son, who I thought had no idea about this conversation. And he'd been trying to process it all on his own. And I said, honey, where did you hear about that? And he said, we heard the adults talking about it, but they didn't want to talk to us about it. They weren't talking to us about it. So we went on YouTube and we just looked for the news so that somebody would tell us what was happening. I realized in that moment that trying to avoid a subject, trying to hide children from a subject, they're going to hear. We just live in too connected a world right now to, to think for a minute that any, any child above the age of eight and probably even younger isn't going to hear this somewhere or see it somewhere. There's screens everywhere they go. And it's so much better to have the opportunity to be the one to help process and direct the emotions and feelings and thoughts of our children, to hold that place as their parents and and just help guide them through these conversations than it is to avoid it regardless of whatever the topic may be and however hard that conversation might be. What's cool about younger kids is their questions. You know, they're not inhibited. And so they mm-hmm. ask maybe even harder questions and they understand the gravity of it too. That's my friend Molly Gowen. Molly used to work with us at Preemptive Love as Jeremy's executive assistant. But before that, she was a teacher in places like the United States, China, the United Arab Emirates, and Iraq. When I talked with Molly, she was in Israel. Between Israel and Iraq, our internet connection was terrible, but it was so good to hear her voice. Molly knows what it's like to be open to the kinds of kids' conversations that spontaneously derail a Tuesday morning English class. But she also knows what it's like to face a shocking tragedy beside them, the kind of tragedy that a growing number of U.S. children and teachers have experienced. You've had the shock of dealing with a really terrible tragedy in a classroom full of students. Can you tell me briefly what happened? Yeah. In 2012, I was teaching at a school in Iraq, and I was observing one of my friends and co-worker teach um, 11th grade literature and humanities classes there and I was learning a lot and one day a student brought a gun to the into class and stood up and I got my 
friend and then uh, shot himself. And I think he died a couple hours later and my friend died pretty instantly. So this was this was during a class in session? Yes, it was. It was in front of the whole 11th grade. I think, I actually don't remember the number of students there, but I think like 18 or 20. If this event had taken place in the U.S., there were 94 incidents of school gun violence in 2018 alone, it might not have been so shocking. But school shootings are incredibly rare in Iraq. And this was Iraq before ISIS. This was a good school in a good neighborhood. And yet Molly, her teaching colleague Jeremiah, and 20 students found themselves caught up in a tragedy. There are times when we choose to avoid talking to children about hard things. And then there are times when we can't because the kids are part of it and they need the help of adults to process. I asked Molly if she's talked to those 11th grade students, those who had to bolt from behind their school desks to find safety outside the classroom seven years ago. Iraq isn't a place where psychological help is widely accessible or sought out. I noticed that the students that I talked to knew that I was a safe person to be able to talk to. And a lot of times they just wanted to talk about either our their teacher, who was my friend, or the student, and still ask the question as to why did it happen? You know, there are a lot of unanswered questions surrounding this. And so just to be able to process that. Or the other thing I noticed, and I don't know if it was a language translation thing, is that a lot of times they would refer to it as the accident. Mm. And and. It took me a little bit to catch on to it, but then I realized that was the story they were starting to tell themselves is that it was an accident. I, I did feel like I needed to say, you know, I don't know if, if it's a translation thing or not, but if you want to say it was an incident, you can say that, but it wasn't an accident. Uh, the student bringing a gun to school showed planning, you know, so it wasn't accidental. And I, I didn't want them minimizing it, but they were wrestling with, this is, this is a classmate, this is a cousin, this is a friend who did this to our teacher, who we've known, who we've had for, you know, six years, and trying to reconcile what had happened. I asked Molly if she's talked to other children in her life about what happened, children who haven't experienced violence firsthand. Yes, there's been a few young kids, there's been a few, and I... I was talking to some family friends in the States and they're really open with their kids about a lot of things. And I started talking about it and then I, I asked them, you know, is it okay if I tell your kids about this? And the, what's cool about younger kids is their questions. You know, they're not inhibited. And so they mm. ask maybe even harder questions and, um, and they understand the gravity of it too. Molly summed it up this way. With kids, you don't have to pretend you have all the answers, like you sometimes have to do with adults. Molly is headed back to the U.S. She'll teach a fourth-grade homeroom filled with kids who are immigrants and refugees, who each have their own kind of difficult realities. I want them to feel like, I want my classroom to be a safe space where they can talk about those experiences if they feel like they need to, and that I would say a lot of, a lot of these experiences probably mean towards peacemaking 
And so we can talk about ways we can be peacemakers in our corner of the world on a daily basis. Safe spaces for hard conversations. My dad teaches me about what's happening in the news. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> like equality and rights for people of color. I just feel like things should be easier because the color of skin shouldn't matter or gender shouldn't matter, age shouldn't matter. We all should be treated equally. The kids around us absorb more than we might imagine, and they understand more than we may assume. When we examine the definition of love anyway in our own lives, we often come up with complicated answers. Ask a kid in your life, and you might be surprised at the depth even a simple response will bring to the conversation. Emma Courtney sums it up well. To me, preemptive love means loving anybody and everybody. That mantra, love anyway, is an imitation. It's not a, a weapon that we use against our kids. It's not a weapon that we use against each other. It's not to be weaponized, period, against anyone, anywhere, at any time. But it is an invitation that is always to be extended to anyone, anywhere, at any time. Visit this episode's show notes at preemptivelove.org podcast for more detailed information about how children consume news and tips for watching the news with kids. In our next episode, we'll explore how to talk with the kids in our lives about immigration. You'll hear from our friend Jose, who shares what he wants you to know about growing up in the U.S. as an immigrant from Mexico. We'll talk with an immigration expert about the language we use and why it matters. And we'll check in with our friends at the U.S.-Mexico border to get an update on the emergency relief you're providing to asylum-seeking families. The Love Anyway podcast is written and produced by Kayla Craig, Ben Irwin, and Aaron Wilson. Skip Matheny is our digital production director. Johnny Craig is our audio engineer. Dylan Seals is our sound engineer. Featured music was provided by The Brilliance. Jeremy Courtney, Jessica Courtney, and J.R. Prashal are executive producers. Special thanks to Emma Courtney, Micah Courtney, and Molly Gowen. Connect with us and learn more about what we do via at Preemptive Love on Instagram and Twitter. Use the hashtag LoveAnyway to give feedback or start a conversation. I'm Erin Wilson, and this is Love Anyway. Thanks for listening.